Every once in a while, I get to ask a question, Pastor, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? Then along the way in the conversation, someone says, well, what do you think your job really is? That's a great question. To be a local pastor, you know that you have the responsibility of a people. And in today's world, that is a, a little more challenging than we've known in times past. Everything that uh, seemed to be stable for years has shifted or changed, morphed. But what hasn't changed is the role of a pastor, in my opinion, is to keep the people thinking right. There's so a lot of things you do as a pastor, as an administrator, that you have. You facilitate things, you program things, you offer things, you watch over budgets, uh, you profile people and put, put them in the right position, blah, 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 blah. But here at the bottom line that I want to start with today is we got to keep thinking right. It affects everything that we do. This message today is, is one of the messages that actually there's a matrix to it that God has given us, and I, I've just asked the Holy Spirit help me to give about six hours information in 30 minutes. So I want to start this way. We use an expression where we're looking forward. That expression has nothing to do with actual sight. It is all about the mind. You're looking forward to things. We know on a traditional day that in the morning we are looking forward to the day. In that, we mean that we are expecting certain things. By that same day's evening, we no longer are looking forward. We are looking backward and we are reflecting on the day. That is a standard day. We know that the Bible gives us an incredible insight with one little verse that just should permeate everything we do. And it tells us from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of our Lord is to be praised. If that becomes the theme of our life, then it helps us jettison through every day, no matter what the circumstances are. From there, then as we talk about looking forward then, we, we typically use that expression as it pertains to plans that we have, or uh, we, are, we have certain goals in mind. I'm looking forward to achieving certain things. We talk about budgets. We're looking forward into the next year, and uh, many of us know the expression, we have more month than we have money. If you have not heard, used that, heard that expression, then you just got what it's saying. Yeah, I've lived many of those months, and there, so I have to create a budget. All these things dealing with looking forward, but again, it's about the mind. It is about even looking forward to a break, a vacation, pleasure. I'm looking forward to the date this weekend. I'm looking forward to this activity. I'm looking forward to, and we use this expression. Now, with that as a foundation, as I told you, we will honor the feasts again. The last one is the Feast of Tabernacles. What has that got to do with looking forward? And it's everything to do with looking forward. 
You see, if we only read Scripture to find trivia, to find certain statements that we can, can build upon, we, we're cheating ourselves. Many of the, especially the feasts, are so profound because, you see, they are eternal. And God gave them to his people, not just to the Jewish nation. Being Gentile, being Christians, we uh, could find ourselves thinking, well, that was just to the Jewish nation. And this is why I'm determined to keep these feasts before us. When it comes to tabernacles, it really reveals the heart of God, the very nature of God. What, what would that be? When you think of God, what do you think about more than anything else? Well, we could talk about his love. We could talk about his light. We could talk about all the things that he affords us. But what is his heart? What is his nature above everything else? And he proves it to us over and over and over again. No matter what scripture you're, you're reading, you have to come back to the reality is, oh, it's right in front of me. God desires fellowship with us. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, he wants us to be engaged with him. His presence wants to be pronounced in our life. He wants us to be in his presence. As Pentecostals, we talk about the presence of God from time to time in certain subject matters, but it is something that we can live every day of our life, the presence of God. And we find it in this thing called tabernacles. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Just a few short verses, beginning at verse 11. And again, Hebrews, the theme of it is always Jesus is better than anything that they had up to that time. Verse 11 says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, how many knows we still have a high priest? Gentiles just acknowledge that we have a high priest. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, parentheses, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works so that what? We may serve a living God. Thank you for your word, Lord. We give you thanks. You may be seated. So we're looking forward. There are three distinct things as you look at tabernacles in Scripture that become these images that he still offers to us. One of them is booths or Sukkoth. We know that for the people back then, God was watching over them and sheltering them even though they had great adversity of the elements. And they lived in tents, booths as they traversed through a wilderness. At times we can parallel as well. Don't we feel like we're in a wilderness at times? Everything that was established has been removed. 
So the psalmist said in 27 and 5, he said, he shelters me in trouble. He watches over me, but in these booths, I, I have not only a shelter, but I have his presence. I tabernacle with him, even in times of trouble. Can somebody give me a witness to say, thank God for that? See, this is the secret he's telling us. He never tells us that we won't have adversity. Matter of fact, the word of God tells us differently. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us out of them all. So even though he never promises to get us out, and even that, that prayer in John 17 as he's getting to leave the earth, he said, Lord, I'm not asking you, Father, I'm not asking you to take them from the earth, but that you keep them, shelter them, watch over them. So this theme, and I, I'm talking to Pentecostals today, we love the presence of God when it's so rich and so full and we're singing about it and rejoicing in it and we talk about, man, the anointing was there, the glory of God was there. We were dancing in his presence. We can't cheat ourselves to think that's the only time his presence is with us. His presence is always present at all times. So even in trouble, he never promised to get us out of it. He's promised to stay with us. We have biblical testimonies of times past that the presence of God sheltered them, whether they were in a lion's den or in a fiery furnace or was in a cleft of a rock. We know that these testimonies came even prior to all that. We know God's nature from the very beginning was to fellowship with us. Because Adam and Eve, before there was sin, God was tabernacling with them in the cool of the day. You ever had that special somebody in your life? I trust you still do. But you think through your life, your dating times, your marriage, your children, a dear close friend that moves off and you don't get to see him very often. Don't you look forward to that time to be with them again? And if there has been time now that's passed and you don't get to see him as often, don't you treasure those moments together? I'm convinced that this statement of God walking with his creation, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day, all parties involved were looking forward. It's about time. We get to be together again. It may be early in the morning and doing the work of the land, but this evening we get to walk with God again. You see, this is what he wants to put in our hearts. Sin changed it, removed us from his presence. This is why, again, Jesus had to come so that we once again could have fellowship with God. That's what this whole thing's about. Whenever you think that nobody likes you, that everybody hates you, that you have no friend, it is about the mind saying, wait a minute, I'm going to dwell upon his word. And I know that he's a friend that sticketh closer than even a brother could. I know that he's a very present help in times of trouble. I know that he shelters me. I know he's on my side. And we have to go through it again to realize what he's offering us. We all know Psalms 91. If we abide in the secret place, 
the tabernacle, if we abide there, we know that we are sheltered in that place. We know that we are kept. He that abideth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of his canopy, of his hoopah, of the sukkoth, of the booth. All these things describing how close God really is. This mind is the most powerful computer on the planet. But what information are we feeding it? We're under pressure now. We know it. There's a warfare for the soul at a level that really none of us can say that we've ever lived through. To where, yes, we've had times of adversity, but there is reprieve. But we're living in a time where it's just sustained. What's going to keep us? He that keeps his mind upon Christ, he shall keep him in perfect peace. This isn't just a, and I'm going to use an expression here that whether you're a Christian or not, this isn't just a little Sunday school lesson. Oh, that's good for you as a little child in Sunday school hearing about these things in the Bible. No, it has to get in our heart. That he, we look forward to today. But it moves on even from that. We realize that, again, we're reminded that Jehovah is known as Jireh, the one who provides. No matter what the circumstance, no matter how lean things become, no matter how much famine comes, he's still Jireh. He still is the Lord who provides. No matter how meager things become, he still provides. He has an arsenal of wealth that is out of this world that he draws from. We know that these things are stored up for the righteous. Yes, we've heard abuse of doctrines and teachings that just wants to make us lucratively filthy rich in this life. That's not what it's about, but it is about that heavenly storage of things that he has for his people. He is able. He is exceedingly and abundantly above what we think we may need, what we know we may need. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who provides, not might provide, maybe he'll provide. I don't know if he can provide. He provides. It's in this thing that we find in the tabernacle. But it's not just looking forward to the present. There's another great truth that's found in the tabernacles as we now go back to what we find in the New Testament. Even Jesus, of course, there at this particular feast of tabernacles. The imagery was also water. Not just booth, but water. And the priest would leave the temple mount and walk down to the pool of Siloam and they would take the silver pitchers uh, and they would fill them with the water from the pool and carry it back to the temple mount and, and pour it as libations uh, and, and offerings unto the Lord. And in that expression, what they were saying is, God, that which we feasted from all year long, you are the one that provided. You provided the rain that filled up that pool again. You are the God that provided the rain so that we can have harvest. You have provided all these things. But then in that, they were also saying, we're not only giving you thanks for what you've done, 
but we're giving you thanks for next year. I know I don't have anybody here that ever thinks that tomorrow's going to fall apart and God won't provide. I know I don't have anybody here that ever struggles with, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle it again. I, I don't know about tomorrow. You seem to focus so much on the present and the circumstances of the present that you forget he is still the one providing the water. And in that simple illustration, we remember he kept us all year long. Can you think back this year when you had a bad day and you wondered if you were going to make it through? Have you ever had a bad day in this past year and thinking, I just don't know, I don't know if I can handle it anymore. If I have to put up with her one more time, come on, somebody. I wasn't looking at you when I said that. I was looking right above your head. If I have to put up with him again, I don't know if I can handle this press, pressure right now. But guess what? You're here today. You did make it through. And the God that brought you through on those days is the same God that's going to take you through the days next year. Woo! Come on. I didn't know all that was hidden in tabernacle because it's a theme. He wants to fellowship with us. Lauren L. Harris used to sing a song entitled, I Miss My Time With You. And it was simply God singing it to us. I miss the time with you. I want you to gather with me again. I want to hear your voice again. I want you to believe in me. I want you to call out to me. Again, this whole thing of these feasts, Jesus is the one that tells us about the latter rain and the, the former rain. The former rain, of course, is again captured in those first feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Jesus fulfilled those things. But notice what the Hebrew writer called. He also is offering a better covenant of things to come. Better things. The good things that are to come. This is why I said disciples get to the upper room and tarry there until. It was there that the latter rain began, the pouring out of the Spirit of God that you and I still have the privilege of today. It sustains us. Jesus again at the same feast said, out of you shall be rivers of living water. See, there's that imagery again. Out of me there'll be life. How long has it been since God's used you to speak into somebody else's life? And in that moment, you realize God's using me. It's as if I'm taking water. To, they were just so thirsty for something. And it was in that conversation that they, their countenance changed. This stuff's real, folks. But if we don't think clearly and dwell upon his goodness and dwell upon his word, we as well will succumb to the pressures of the time. At times as a pastor, I'm going back to that comment, I feel like a general, colonel, somebody walking through the troops. We know we're going into battle, and you, you, some of you have lived that life. And others have watched the movies or read books before certain deployments, certain theaters of operation. I wonder why the general's here today. Because his presence, her presence, had to be seen walking among the, I'm in this with you. It's 
It's going to be tough when you get out there. There's going to be loss today. Be encouraged. And so it is in, in our struggle for life, in the battle for the mind and for the soul, to once again realize he's still tabernacling with us. He's dwelling with us. He's living in our midst. I have to focus on that. That rivers of living water aren't that far away. They're right inside of me. Just to get alone with him. But tabernacles has one more image. And it's the candelabras. Not the one that we find as a menorah in the temple. But you see, when this feast happened, oh, of all the feasts, it was the most joyous. And they wanted everybody to come out and rejoice. Wanted everybody to participate. Wanted everybody to sing and to dance. So they would construct enormous candelabras. And they would take priests and they would build ladders to get there. And they would come in with pitcher after pitcher after pitcher of oil climb that ladder and pour it into that basin and then light up the sky so that all night long they would have the illumination of his presence. They didn't have to worry about the darkness. They didn't have to fear that the night might overtake them. They had light even when it should have been dark. Woo, come on, somebody. And in that, this is where Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. No matter how dark it gets out there, folks, we have a light that's brighter than anything else that will sustain us. It is this imagery, again, of not only having light, but while we're in the light, we get to dance. Then we get to rejoice from the rising of the sun. And even though the sun struggles through the day, it's still going to set that night. And even though I may not see it setting, I know that it's setting. In the name of the Lord, I'm going to praise him because through it all, he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's watching over me. He's tabernacling me. In times of trouble, he's sheltering me. But at other times, it's just the embrace of his presence where I get to rest in his presence. Tabernacling with us. Oh my, you know, we talk about heaven. I read the story of a little boy, typical little boy, driving mom crazy, running in the house and out of the house, in the house and out of the house. Anybody ever had one of them little boys? Every time slamming the door in and out, just on and on and on. Oh, he was driving mom crazy. And finally, she looked at him, little Johnny and said, Johnny, it wasn't you, was it, Johnny? Okay, just checking. Your sister said it was you. How do you ever expect to get to heaven acting like that? He thought for a moment, and he said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run in, and I'm going to run out, and I'm going to run in, and I'm going to run out, and I'm going to slam the door every time until finally somebody says, for heaven's sake, would you either stay in or stay out? He said, then I'm going to go in. Oh, to be childlike. I'm looking at younger faces, looking at some who might be older. I'll leave it there. But as we conclude, this tabernacle describes not only the present, it not only describes next year, 
in this journey upon this planet. But it's talking about heaven. You see, when we look back now at our repertoire of music, church music, there was a lot of music some time ago about heaven, but you don't hear much about it now. We're talking about the struggle of the present. And even though that needs to be addressed, we can never lose what heaven means to us. We have to be looking forward. We have to have the mindset that there is a heaven. That no matter how old I am, when I leave this world, there is another place that's already designed for me. Jesus said it himself, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another one to comfort you. But just know this, why I'm not bodily with you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may also tabernacle with me. You see, again, we realize at the very beginning of Jesus' first journey here, the Word of God says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was created without the Word, but it goes on to tell us, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. But now we zoom all the way up to Revelation 21 and 3. And it says, behold, I heard a loud voice. <laughs> I heard that loud voice from heaven. He said, and the tabernacle of God is with men, and it will dwell with them, and his people shall have their God, and he shall be their God, and he will be with them, and they shall be his people. You see this theme that's been woven here in tabernacles is something that we have to embrace. I want you to stand with me.